Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to yet another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. We are the official podcast of Tennis Canada and members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. Well, Mike, we were expecting, I think, a full preview episode of the first of the Sunshine Double, the BNP Paribas Open from Indian Wells. Instead, we were met with stunning breaking news Sunday night due to a confirmed case of coronavirus locally in the Coachella Valley. A public health emergency was declared. And for that reason, the tournament has been canceled. And uh, I think we were all essentially just in shock and awe of these developments just a day before qualifying. Who knew the, the major topic for this week's podcast was going to be about the effect that a, a virus is having on, on the tennis world. And obviously it's bigger than just the tennis world. And that's why it's being taken so seriously. And even with the developments in recent weeks and days, and we've seen other major sporting events get uh, canceled or postponed, it still caught me and and you as well. I know we were texting each other last night. It caught us both by by surprise still because it is a major decision to make that affects not only the players but sponsors and other workers and officials at the tournament, fans who've already traveled, you know, to be there, fans who look forward to Indian Wells, which is considered the, by some, the fifth slam uh, because of how big a tournament it is, a combined event uh, with all the best players in the world. And so this has a huge implication and impact on people um, both on and off the court. And for that reason, and the timing of it, um, it, it really does make this not controversial, I think the decision is the right decision to make when it comes to something that could turn into something, uh, you know, majorly impactful for the, the health of not just one country or one part of the world, but really a global uh, ep- epidemic p- possibly here. So uh, it's it's still something that um, has shocked people and the reactions are, are all across the board, really. Yeah, they certainly are. I think you have to realize when you're talking about a tournament this large, This is a gathering that brings in, over the course of 10 days, two weeks, over 450,000 people in, you know, what is, in a way, an enclosed space. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of germs. Well, the exact uh, kind of event that would be potentially very dangerous for the spread of this coronavirus. Yes, and we had heard uh, in the week leading up to it that they were setting aside precautions for the coronavirus, for COVID-19. They... the uh, ball boys and girls were not going to handle player towels anymore. There was going to be different sanitation stations. So they're taking all these precautionary measures, but we did have a localized case of the virus itself in Coachella Valley. So BNP Paribas Open has decided to pull the plug. And I'm totally okay with this. And and I think the, the criticisms of this are, are perhaps short-sighted, you know, sort of first world problems or, I mean, look at the big picture here. Yeah, Public health and safety at an event should always be the most important item on the list, trumping revenue, trumping sponsors, trumping entertainment value, uh, history and tradition even, right? Uh, It's precautionary, but uh, if health officials are telling people uh, and community officials are telling people, you know, anything more than 10,000 people in a spot and and you really need to, yeah, put the the, the brakes on it for, for this year, then so be it. You know, Indian Wells will return. We'll have other editions of Indian Wells. Uh, it, it's canceled or postponed now. Not really sure how they, they've phrased it. And, uh, and we don't know definitively, although I think it would be kind of shocking to see how they could schedule this in at a, at a later part of the year, just given how busy 
uh, the schedule already is with people's prior commitments. Yeah, certainly. Well, the, the way they phrase it in their tweet is the 2020 BMP Paribas Open will not be held. Uh, they didn't use the word postponed. They didn't use the word canceled. Uh, but I remind people that this was on the guidance of medical professionals and the Center for Disease and Control and the state of California. Uh, you and I are not medical professionals. Uh, I, I come across a lot of opinions on Twitter where maybe the people preaching said opinions would uh, like to believe that they know more than the medical professionals. But uh, I think we have to trust, uh, trust this is the correct decision um to at least hold off on this event and you know we're we're talking about a serious year ahead in the world of sports and and what could transpire we could be missing several events going forward not just in tennis uh globally yeah miami is saying that as of right now it's still it's still a go yes. who knows what happens and develops over the next week two weeks that could potentially change that impact on the clay court season again who knows but you know with uh, italy on lockdown now I mean, that's how big this is. A whole country is is on lockdown, not just a section of it anymore. Uh, it's going to be very unlikely that we see any tennis being played there uh, in the spring clay court swing. So who knows what the repercussions could be? We, we might have to get very creative with our tennis topics moving <laughs> forward on our weekly podcast, depending on how much tennis actually gets played. Um, but, uh, you know, our hearts go out first and foremost. Anyone who's been affected by this virus uh, or anyone who has loved ones or, or friends who've been affected... But we can also feel sorry for the the tennis impact, and we can talk about that since we're a tennis podcast. We're sorry. not a we're not a, a health uh, podcast here by any stretch. Um, and, and I do feel for you know the lower ranked players in particular who've already traveled there, who've been practicing there, and who are going to lose out on you know their traveling costs, their their coaches' costs, and and things of that nature. Uh, people like Jeff Donaldson, who we work closely with, who works uh, with Tennis Canada who goes to Indian Wells every year as part of their social media team. And he arrived there basically the day that they decided this was no longer going to move forward. So uh, it is disappointing for people who are, who are out of pocket. Uh, you know, tennis fans, obviously, who for them might have been their only tournament of the year that they were going to get to. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I know how I feel every year that the, the Rogers Cup comes around, which is the one that I've covered the most over the years. It's, it's kind of like Christmas for me. You know, it's that big thing that I, I look forward to the most. Yeah. And uh, and yet, you know what, there will be other ones and we will rebound from this. And, and hopefully, you know, when we're sitting down next year to talk about Indian Wells 2021, coronavirus is is in the distant uh, you know past and and you know as a as a planet we've moved on from the threat that this poses but it, it is scary and and yes there might not be tons of cases in that region right now but you have to take every precaution to make sure that it doesn't go that route. Yeah, that is certainly true. And uh, we have a couple guests for this episode to uh, break down some details of uh, what has happened in terms of Indian Wells and uh, what can we expect going forward. Tom Tebbit of Tennis Canada will be joining us and also a hitting partner and popular on YouTube, Instagram and Twitter, Philip Fama. You can find him on Twitter at Wiener underscore head. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. And now happy to welcome our first guest of the program. Uh, you know him from Tennis Canada and he is uh, all things wisdom when it comes to tennis uh, for our coverage. Tom Tebbett, thanks so much for joining us on the program this week. Well, all things wisdom, I have to start off the top saying that the fact that I decided last Thursday not to go to Indian Wells certainly makes me look like a smart guy. And just a quick side story. I had a uh, flight to fly down yesterday morning to Palm Springs, and I happened to run into Daniel Nestor last week, and he was on a flight yesterday morning to Palm Springs, 
and I think he went. So I'm sure he wasn't too pleased to get there and find out that there was no tournament. So you have like a crystal ball at home or what, Tom? Well, it was strange. I went to bed Wednesday, and I was going to go up to Tennis Canada to make sure on the next day, make sure my computer was fine for anything else. I woke up Thursday morning, turned on the TV, and just saw all the coronavirus stuff and just thought, you know, I'm not going to go. And, you know, because I actually have a little bit of a cough because I was away in Australia and then Switzerland, so I'm still coughing a little bit. And I wasn't too worried about that, but if you start coughing down there, I think people would sort of, who knows, you get quarantined. And, and just if anything happened, I remember thinking, if anything happened when you're away from home, it's no fun. So I've been about 25 times to Indian Wells. It's really my favorite tournament outside the slams. So I, it's hard not to go, but it just seemed like a, a smart thing to do. And I was shocked last night to hear the news, really shocked, because I think we all thought, you know, maybe four or five days ahead they decide. But it was like, you know, just, I don't know, 12 hours until the qualifying started. And, and you think that at that point, you know, where it go, it's going to happen. So it was very shocking. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, this doesn't become a habit. I think a lot of us are thinking that the same thing could happen in Miami. Yeah, well, uh, Miami did issue a statement uh, on their Twitter account today. said they, they are going forward with the tournament, but uh, you know how things uh, can change very rapidly uh, with this virus. I, I'm sort of wondering, is there... Any precedents that you know of here for the, the cancellation of a, a major tennis event, or is this sort of completely foreign territory for the ATP and WTA? Well, I read a story today, and I would have thought of this one, too. I mean, obviously, in the First World War and the Second World War, Wimbledon wasn't held. I guess probably the, the French championships weren't held either. Um, I can't really think of anything at all. I mean, normally, it's weather-related things. I remember one year, the final of Monte Carlo, uh, I guess it was rain and horrible weather, and it was Jimmy Connors and Guillermo Vilas in the final. They never played that final, and so they were both declared winners or runner-ups or whatever. You would have thought... You know, you know when Monte Carlo was in the schedule that they could have maybe played it later in the summer or something. They never did, but that's about the best one I could come up with where they actually didn't finish a tournament. That's happened several times, but that was you know a big match between two fairly well-known players. So that's about the only one that came to mind. Now, some uh, different uh, leagues, like I know the NHL, NBA, are discussing potentially having to play games without any crowds in the stadiums. Those are, of course, just one-night gigs. But uh, was there any? I guess you're you're not there, but. What would prevent tournament organizers from continuing to have the event this year, but just playing it with a minimal crew on site, ball kids, officials, and, and that's about it? No crowd? Uh, well, I mean, nothing. Um, I know Christopher Clary reported today that um, he, he talked to some officials, and they definitely had considered that. So I'm not exactly sure why they would decide not to do that. Um, you know, maybe in this case, really, because this was so last minute, um, that maybe it would just be, be too tricky. If you planned ahead sort of a little bit, maybe you could make some sort of um, adjustment to that. But who knows? Um, obviously, it would be tricky. Um, it's a different a little bit, especially in the early rounds, obviously, than a, you know, an NBA game or a hockey game um, because you've got more than one stadium. Um, so I suppose that can make a little bit of a difference too. But um, you know, now that this is becoming a reality and what's, what's happening in Italy with everybody basically being quarantined or whatever, um, obviously if that happened in May, uh, there would be no Italian Open. So it's, it's kind of concerning, um, really, um, you know, whatever. Everybody keeps using the, the term domino effect. But obviously um, I, I sort of think Miami won't be held. There's already been a music festival canceled there around the same time. I don't understand whether they've ever seen a musical fest- music festival and tennis is. So uh, I think it's probably unlikely that tournament will be held, and it's far enough off now that they can say, well, it's still on. Well, hopefully they do but, learn, if anything. If it does get cancelled, hopefully they give fair warning, because I know there are you know, a lot of players, and understandably so, who are already on site, who are getting ready, as you mentioned, 12 hours away from the start of qualies. Um, you know, no money, I'm guessing, at this point, and the ranking points, 
coming off because it's a 52-week rotating ranking system, although it just seems funny to me that these players don't get a chance to defend from a year ago, so it's penalizing, really, the players that had a successful Indian Wells in, in 2019. Yeah, in a way, it helps Bianca um, because yeah. she wasn't going to play anyway. So everybody else takes a hit that that she took. I'm like, she takes the biggest hit because she won. So I, I don't know. It's it's all it's all very tricky. And and to me, the Miami decision should come really soon because like if you're a European and you're over here and now I mean the, the, I guess you probably know they have the right to stay on site now for another week, so they can practice there. And I think they're being put up in the hotels for free for if they're a singles player or a qualifying player or whatever, so they can hang around and practice. But I'm sure with you know so much uncertain about Miami that if you're a European player and you got the clay court season coming up next month. You just rather get the heck home and and you know readjust to this new reality. Uh, well, and and for the tournament itself, they it was not that clear whether this is a full on cancellation or is it postponed. Uh, they they just stated that it will not be held. Uh, and I think I read a statement from tournament director Tommy Haas that uh, they would love to find a way to hold it somehow still within the calendar year. Do you think that could possibly work, uh, even given the packed tennis schedule? Well, wise old Tom Tebbett has always used one word, one word about the tennis schedule, and that word is intractable. And intractable basically means you can't do anything, and you know how busy the weeks are. And the other thing is that I think people should realize this. It's hellishly hot in Indian Wells in the summer. I mean, I remember talking to a guy once in a, in a secondhand shop, and he said, like, you know, on a summer day, maybe you go out till 8 o'clock in the morning, and that's it. So it's just impossible. So you've got to rule it all those months. So I think the only time could be sometime after the U.S. Open. And then, you know, if there's the tournaments in Asia, um, I don't think they're going to give up their spots. And then if you got really towards the end of the year, I don't think you can interfere with, uh, you know, with Davis Cup or with uh, the London finals or the Shenzhen finals for the women. So I, I just don't see where they'd squeeze it in. Somebody would have to, you know, abdicate from some weeks or something. And, and the other thing, of course, that's really difficult is it is basically a two-week event. So if you're just sneaking in one week, and the other thing I think is difficult as well, and you've got to think about this a little bit, is that the trip from Europe to California isn't really like a trip to Montreal, Toronto, New York, or Miami. It's those four more hours. It's almost like going to Australia. And I can tell you that the tennis players and, and everybody else in tennis is pretty zonked by the end of the year. And the last thing I think a lot of people want to do, say, in November, even December, who knows when, is fly all the way from Europe um, to California to play Indian Wells. And then with the the prospect of having to fly to Australia just a month later. So, I mean, like I said, it's intractable. It's so hard to find any time for that tournament. So in that case, hopefully we have Bianca defending her title in in 2021 if we're looking on the positive side of things. Um, Although there hasn't been too much positive to say about Bianca because, as you know, she hasn't played a match in about four months now uh, with that knee injury sustained at the WTA Finals uh, still keeping her off uh, the, the court in terms of match play. How, how concerned are you that it's taking so long, and how concerned should Canadian tennis fans be by, by this news that she's still not ready to resume playing? Well, obviously, you have to be pretty concerned. Um, I, I had heard last week that the things look reasonably good for Miami, so I don't know if that's still true because you just never know what can happen. Um, yeah, and it's certainly a worry. I mean, there's a lot of speculation. Maybe she should have had surgery, and I would think this – don't – I mean, Mike, you'd know, and Ben, you too um, – I think guys have it's meniscus cartilage or whatever, and and I know hockey players and some other athletes don't they have, you know, arthroscopic surgery on a knee, and sometimes in five or six weeks or even less they're playing again. Yeah, hockey mm-hmm. and hockey players seem to have that pretty soon. Like it seems like when it's diagnosed, boom, they're in. They have this this quick surgery. In this case, I guess they must have thought that it it wasn't needed and that some rest and rehabilitation would do the trick. But clearly, it's not going according to plan. And unfortunately, with Bianca, it seems like over the years, and she's only 19 years old. She's had to deal with a heck of a lot of different things that have kept her kept her off the court for for a significant chunk of time. 
Yeah, no, but the other thing is I don't want to be critical because, uh, you know, I, I, I hate Monday morning quarterbacks. And, and, you know, now knowing what they know now, maybe they would have had surgery, you know, sometime in the first month, the first week of November or something. Um, but, you know, but the thing is that, you know, you forget about last year. Um, you know, she had the problem with the shoulder uh, after Miami, and she only played the one match at the French Open. And people would say, well, geez, why'd you bring her back so soon? She got hurt. So you can criticize the people around and say, well, why'd you bring her back so soon at the French Open if she wasn't right? But then you got to give it to them uh, for, you know, the Rogers Cup in Toronto, the U.S. Open. They brought her back and she won the two tournaments. So obviously they made the right choices there. So you can't just pick and choose, but, you know, and call the people around her, you know, not the smartest because they didn't do this, didn't do that. They did a great job there. And I'm sure they were trying their best here, and they're the ones that know the best are the ones that are really close to her so um just have to hope that uh, you know she can make it back and the, the other thing if somehow this the schedule gets back to normal I, I don't think it's that big a deal that she misses indian wells or miami because she has nothing to defend on the whole clay court season except for one match in paris nothing to defend in all those tournaments nothing to defend in all those grass court tournaments so i don't know it's something like 1300 points or something she, she she'd lose in indian wells or miami but if she's playing like she can play, she can definitely make it up over the clay court season, the grass court season. So hopefully she's ready for that, and hopefully those seasons exist. Yeah, that is the hope. Uh, one fortunate aspect, uh, we have seen another Canadian sort of steal the limelight over the past few weeks, 17-year-old Layla Annie Fernandez, and she's now uh, close to that top 100, number eight, number 118 in the rankings. Uh, what has impressed you most uh, about her game? Obviously, she, she made the final run in Acapulco, but uh, she had a great win over Belinda Bencic that I think turned some heads. Uh, in early February at Fed Cup too. Uh, what what's maybe uh, attractive about her game style? Well, she's a terrific player. I mean, I, I'm totally impressed with her. I think I think she's absolutely terrific. Um, the, the thing that you you see right away. I mean, I was lucky enough to be in Switzerland when she you know she beat Benchic and be around that Fed Cup week. And she, the thing about her is she's well, she's a re, really really nice young woman, a really nice girl. I think she's terrific. You know, she's sort of come up the hard way, modest background. The, the parents and, and her sister, they all moved to Florida. She played on practice, uh, public courts and all that sort of stuff. But the thing about her on court is she's so intense. I mean, I go back a long ways, but Tracy Austin was like a steel trap, and Monica Sellis was like a steel trap, and and Layla's like that. I mean, she just focuses on the match, and is just 100% businesslike. It's really amazing to watch. It's really fun to watch, and and she's really got all the shots. She actually volleys very well. She's got a pretty sneaky serve. I, I don't think she's much more than five foot four, maybe five foot five. So she's not that big, and I don't think she's gonna get too much taller. She may fill out a bit because she's pretty slight. But she's just a fantastic player. She has a really good sense of how to play, when to go in, where to hit, you know, when to try the angle. She has a very effective drop shot now and then. So she really is the, is the complete package, and you just hope she stays healthy because if she does, I mean, it's hard to, to think that, you know, who knows what I know, but by the end of the year, I think she should be in the top 50. Not, not a bad follow-up to the success that the Canada had in 2019. I guess we're proving that it was certainly no fluke, and, and Layla's part of even a, a, I don't know, maybe... I don't know about another wave, but uh, you know, people must be looking at Canada thinking, where do you guys find all these wonderful tennis players? Uh, on, on the men's side, uh, to talk about Felix a little bit, certainly seems he's getting closer to that first ATP title. He's had a pretty solid start to the year, making uh, a couple of finals already. Do you see it happening this year for him if uh, you know, things uh, progress, that, that he's going to get perhaps that, that first title in 2020? Well, I guess so. I, I just hate predicting because I've been around long enough to know that it's really hard to tell with these things. But, I mean, I think people forget. They keep saying he's been in five finals. He hasn't won any of them. Well, the guy's 19 years old. And he's been in five ATP finals. So is that not impressive enough? 
So, you know, hopefully he can win. I definitely think he can. He's a terrific player. He's got a great attitude. Uh, he's a terrific athlete. It's, everything about him is good. So I think we just got to be patient and, and it'll happen. But to say for sure it'll happen this year, um, it depends. I don't think he's going to win Wimbledon or the French Open or the U.S. Open. I could be wrong, I guess. But, you know, and, and some of those other terms, there's no question since he's been in all these finals that he can do it again and he's going to win one of them. Bit unusual, I guess. Uh, it feels like anytime Felix is playing really well, Dennis is slumping, and when Shapovalov is on a nice run, Felix is slumping. Um, Dennis looks so terrific. I think when we look at the tail end of last season and uh, even playing great at, at ATP Cup, uh, any reason why he kind of hit a roadblock maybe the past month or so? I don't know. I mean, it's it's really it's hard to believe. I mean, he's such a fantastic shot maker. I mean, he's. He's super talented. I mean, he's got a he's got a magic arm. It's, it's just amazing what he can do. But sometimes he just gets a little carried away. I think maybe it's just a sort of an inner calm that's not there. Sometimes maybe ride out the the you know the tough moments in the match and then trust that eventually your talent will carry you through. So he's had a lot of ups and downs. But I mean, I I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, you know what he can do now. And it's a little bit tricky for him and for Felix as well because they both may, if if Miami does indeed happen, they both made the semi there last year. So they could take a little bit of a hit if they don't do as well this year. But I mean, long term there's no question that both of them are are destined for the top 10 and, and probably a lot higher than that well tom we just want to uh thank you for uh popping by and speaking with us i wish it was under better circumstances that you were in indian wells getting ready for the start of a fantastic event but there's something sort of calming knowing that tom tebbett is safe and secure here in canada for canadian tennis fans who rely on your coverage and expertise and we always love talking to you so thanks for uh, stopping by today oh you're welcome guys all right talk soon there he goes, Tom Tebbett, writer for Tennis Canada. You can find him on Twitter, at Tom Tebbett. And, uh, wow, well, quite quite the decision. Uh, just a few days before qualifying, decides not to go to Indian Wells and, of course, got cancelled. That's Tom Tebbett. He knows. He's just got a sense for these things. And uh, you know what? It must be really special for Tom. He's covered the sport for uh, quite a number of years. I grew up reading, uh, you know, his work in the Globe and Mail and when I first started covering tennis tournaments, there was kind of this presence around him. I was—I didn't even go up and say hi to him for the first couple of years that I was covering the Rogers <laughs> Cup because I felt kind of intimidated. But it turns out, I mean, he's one of the nicest guys in the press room. And uh, I don't want to say, uh, you know, use the cliche, he took me under his wing, but he has been very helpful for me in my development as a, a writer and, and someone covering the sport of tennis. must be great for him to see right now what's happening on the men's side and the women's side after covering the sport for so long where they, they didn't have the chance to have these breakthrough moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, he's, he's such a wealth of knowledge. I feel like you can ask him any detail about this sport at any time frame, going back, you know, 50, 60, 70 years or something more recent in the past decade or so. He's on top of it. Uh, and, and it's just so impressive. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find us on Instagram at Matchpoint Canada. And that is where we are running an exciting racket contest. We have three more weeks for everyone to enter. The Onyx E-Zone Tennis Racket is up for one of our lucky listeners and the Racket Series delivers unmatched power and comfort for beginners to the world's best athletes like Naomi Osaka and Nick Kyrgios who have trusted the E-Zone Series for the entirety of their professional careers. With the largest sweet spot in the series history, their arrow-shaped frame produces a plush, more comfortable feel at impact, even on your off-centered shot. 
shots. So one lucky listener has the chance to win an E-Zone, ra- an E-Zone racket of your choice by entering into our contest. It's existing for three more episodes. All you have to do is you follow us at Matchpoint Canada on Instagram. You follow Yonix Canada at Yonix Canada, and you post a picture or a video or a story with the hashtag Hashtag Matchpoint Canada Yonix, and we will randomly select a winner after the next few episodes. We did have some action, uh, Mike, this past week, uh, getting some tennis in, uh, Monterey Open, of course, and uh, we will start there on the WTA side. Alina Svitolina had been in what I would call a pretty ugly slump, uh, dating really back to the start of the season. Uh, She struggled at the Australian Open, Dubai, she was out early to Jennifer Brady, Qatar, she lost immediately to Amanda Anisimova, but uh, she found her game uh, this past week uh, quickly, uh, winning the Monterey Open and, and defeating Marie Boskova in, the, in a tight three-set final, so promising for the Ukrainian to be playing her best tennis again. Yeah, and uh, up to number five in the rankings, certainly a great position there for her, and one of those players that goes through stretches, it seems, of uh, uh, underwhelming performances, and then can come up with the goods all of a sudden out of the blue and remind us why she's been such a mainstay in the top ten these past few years. Uh, still looking for slam number one of her career, And uh, if she can just get hot at the right time and give one of these performances or like she's done in the past in in certain tournaments where she's uh, excelled, uh, again, what comes to mind is that 2018 WTA, was it 2018 WTA finals or was just this past year? Uh, I think it was 2018. At at any rate, she's she's proven she can put it together and knock off some of the world's best in succession. Yes. um, And and yet goes through stretches where she kind of disappears and you wonder what's going on with her. Yeah. Yeah. And she did win the WTA final in in 2018. Uh, Yeah. There's certainly some ebbs and flows there, but uh, she has a complete game. You you wonder if she could run off seven matches and become a Grand Slam winner. One of our Grand Slam winners, in fact, the one who won the Australian Open first time, Sophia Kennan, uh, back in the winner's circle this past week at the Leon Open. Uh, winning five matches and capturing her second title of 2020. I I think kind of quelling any fears that she was going to venture into one of those extended slumps, like sort of post Grand Slam hangover. She struggled in Dubai, lost immediately there, and she was out in Qatar. Uh, But a couple tough draws there. She lost to Yastremska in Qatar, who's a great player. Dubai, uh, Ribikina played well. But uh, Leon Open, she kind of took advantage of what could be called probably a weaker field. Yeah, she did what she was supposed to do. She did what she had to do, given the players in front of her, I think. And uh, winning a trophy, good for the confidence. But I was also getting a little bit worried. Like, is there some sort of Aussie Open curse on the women's side? because Naomi Osaka had a real tough stretch after she won a year ago. Uh, so this will be good for Kennan. And she's moving up in the rankings too, up to number four. And uh, I guess with what's going on in Indian Wells, that should push her up potentially also, you were saying, I think, to, to number three. Yes, that's right, with uh, points coming off for uh, Karolina Pliskova. So uh, I guess she's technically a beneficiary of the cancellation of Indian Wells, although I, I'd imagine she, she wishes it were happening just like any other tennis player. No doubt. And uh, a Canadian result that we should certainly uh, mention in the doubles world uh, on the women's side as well is Sharon Fishman uh, from Toronto is now into the top 50 in the world uh, doubles rankings. Her and her partner, Katerina Bondarenko, prevailed in uh, Monterey. 
And so, again, just uh, validation that Sharon's decision to come back to the WTA Tour uh, within the last couple of years was a solid one. She's put together a really good run so far in, in 2020. It seems the confidence is, is really increasing. She's with a partner that she's uh, having some success with as well as it's back-to-back finals for her in Bondarenko, finalist in Acapulco, winning in Monterey. And um, who knows if she continues at this pace, maybe uh, even something where the Olympics, if uh, the Olympics do end up happening later this year, perhaps something where she can uh, get in there with uh, Gabby Dabrowski, the two of them who've had success in the past as a tandem as well. But Sharon's just one of the good ones and uh, always friendly to talk with. Uh, She's been on both sides, also having done a lot of work in the media during her uh, short time off the tour. And uh, must be yeah very validating to come back and have these kinds of results for her. Yeah, certainly, and it, it's great to have that additional depth. I think uh, on the double side of things for our women's tennis players, where she can post uh, some excellent results in that field, and as you said, inside the top fifty, uh, she will jump up to uh, number forty-eight in the world's doubles rankings, which she has done. Uh, so, congrats to Sharon Fitchman for the title, her first doubles title since June. Happy to say we're joined right now by someone who's going to shed some light on the uh, developing situation at Indian Wells with the cancellation of the BNP Paribas Open. Uh, Philip Fama, who is a friend of Ben and myself, we've met at the Rogers Cup in years past. You can find him on Twitter at tweener underscore head, on Instagram, tweenerhead tennis, and his YouTube channel is tweenerhead. So he's got a vast presence on social media as his twitter bio says he does a little bit of everything in tennis philip how you doing and and thanks for taking some time to join us today no problem glad i can join you guys it's been a little quiet and a little bit of hectic here in indian wells and i'm really glad to have uh, to be on here guys yeah so so tell us phil first of all what you were doing in indian wells because you're not just someone who covers tennis but you've got another aspect of your your job down there too. And and then tell us where you were when you found out and, and what your reaction was initially. So I originally came down here to be a hitting partner for the players. And I got to do that a little bit and have some access to the players and do some inter- And I interviewed Michael Moe this week and got some footage of me hitting with some of the players. And I was last night I was at dinner and there were some players in the in the restaurant with me, and all of a sudden, I didn't even find out from Twitter. I found out from someone's a friend of mine who's a manager of a player. He got the email, and we did, and we all had our we all had our phones in the corner of the table because during dinner we wanted to be more social, and all of a sudden. He, he had his phone because he had a phone call. He looks at his email and all of a sudden it says BNP Paribas open canceled. So I, and I, that was just the title, <laughs> title of the email. Wow. Well, I, I guess I have to ask because, you know, we were completely floored and shocked when we saw the news break on Twitter. Of course, mm-hmm. that's where we got the information. We didn't get an email, but, uh, was there any sense from from the players or media members, organizers at, at all that that this might not happen, the event, or was everybody sort of at the dinner and, and players you had had hit with or spoke with uh, all sort of hands on deck, expecting things to go ahead with qualifying uh, on Monday? I think it was a little bit of everything because of some of the players I was in contact with. They 
were waiting to hear if they got into the tournament or not. Wild cards were announced. Uh, people were dropping out. People that were waiting as alternates were then confirmed to be in the main draw of qualifying. Everyone was kind of waiting for it. And then all of a sudden, I was waiting for the schedule came uh, to come out because it usually comes out around 6 uh, Eastern time or 6 p.m. Uh, West Coast time, wherever you are. And the schedule was constantly not up. So then once we finally got the email, it was kind of confirmed everyone's suspicions because no one, everyone had an idea that it could be. And after, and this was over social media as well, when they started announcing that, okay, faculty are now going to wear gloves, ball kids are going to wear gloves, players are only going to get their own towels, no ball kids going to touch it. And it seemed geared, and I talked about this in a video I just made today, it was more geared towards people that were working the tournament, not essentially the fans that were coming in. So it just seemed like they were going to go through with it no matter what and just take the precautions. And then not even less than 24 hours before the first ball is hit at Indian Wells, they go, okay, now we'll cancel it. All this money you spent to get here, totally not worth it. We've seen all of the reactions on Twitter from a variety of players, some with a sense of humor, like Tennis Sandgren, who basically said the uh, tournament should become a drinking competition at the bar now. Um, It really was. (laughs) So tell us, yeah, what was it like? Take us back to the restaurant then when you were finding out, along with some other players who were there. I don't know if you can drop some names or not, but what was the overall vibe and reaction as people were coming to this realization, oh, my God, the tournament is actually not going to start the next day? I think the players literally got up and just looked at each other from across the room. I think that's one thing that needs to be said because it's one of the coaches I remember saying, I've never, and one of the coaches said, I've never seen this happen to me or in tennis my entire career, which is, which is dawning because, well, it then dawned on me, I should say that, this actually is affecting us. This is actually affecting players. This is actually affecting me, the media, everyone that's a part of the tennis world, because you've been hearing about it all over the news. You've been hearing about it in certain places, but you never really hear about it in sports. But then it just, it hit the tennis world. And then you, I started to panic a little bit. And then when I was riding home, I just felt a sort of eeriness because you really didn't get the full idea of how dangerous it could be until it affects your world and your work. No, no kidding. And uh, look, I think for, for someone like yourself and, and probably a lot of those qualifying players, players who are more on the fringe, we're, we're not talking about the, the Nadals and Djokovic's here. We're not talking about the, the big guns who are, are so set financially beyond anybody's understanding um we're we're talking about players who this this could be a potential big payday if they can win a qualifying match is it how frustrating is it maybe for for those players on the fringe trying to sort of earn their spot and see see if they can do some damage at indian wells to to have the event uh you know pull the plug and you've spent some major money uh, on travel and uh accommodation to get there i just think it's it's one of those things where it for a tennis player's perspective, it's 
you're basically going into unemployment for a little while because nothing's going to be played. Players constantly need that tournament or that paycheck coming in. If you're not one of the top players that can survive on uh, brand money, advertisements, prize money that you made in the past, a lot of these people go to these smaller tournaments and play qualifying because they need it. And especially if you qualify into the first round of one of the biggest, the fifth slam, I should say, you're making over $30,000. And that can go a really long way for some of these players. And I was, some players like were making jokes on Twitter about it. Like Johnny O'Mara, a double specialist said, anyone who wants some tennis lessons in the next few months, Mackie uh, McDonald said he's currently unemployed on Twitter. And it's, and one a WTA player, Cerceta from Romania, said uh, she responded to a fan that said, yes, I found out from Twitter uh, about the tournament being canceled. So a lot of these players, their livelihood is really riding on this, and there's an actual chance that there could actually be a possibility of not playing tennis for the next two months. Phil, how big of a hit is this going to be for someone like yourself? Uh, I mean, I was watching your Tweenerhead YouTube video at the start of uh, your your trip to Indian Wells and just how excited you were checking into your Airbnb that you said you were going to have for three or four weeks and giving us the tour of the grounds there on the opening day. I mean, I was looking forward to more of these YouTube videos, which unfortunately now we're not going to get. But how big of an impact is it for someone like yourself, a freelancer, someone who's self-employed, who goes tournament to tournament, hitting with the players, covering different events? What what does this mean for you? That's a really good question. <laughs> because honestly, it's I you can write about tennis in, in the media. You have so many other things that you could be writing about, like college tennis you could be talking about, you can be talking about junior tennis, but for me at least, I I've canceled and rescheduled probably three flights already and my Airbnb twice, actually three times now because I was supposed to go to a challenger next week, canceled that trip completely. I'm going home tomorrow and I've had to reschedule my Airbnb twice. And it's, it's because people have others to worry about when it comes to logistics or uh, when you get to the big time, but for someone like myself who's doing everything you really need to be on top of it because if you don't i'm losing more money than i could ever imagine just because of where i'm staying what's happening in the future and i will i honestly will be trying to recover tournaments remotely for the next couple weeks if there are any tournaments where was the uh challenger you were planning on heading to there were a couple options, but I believe I was going to Phoenix. Right. And that was basically a 250 field. Well, and, and now, uh, look, the, there's a second part of this Sunshine Double and an equally large tournament uh, scheduled in Miami, the Miami Open. They, they did issue a statement today saying they are going to go ahead with that tournament. Uh, but we know yeah. things can change rapidly with uh, a global virus, right? Uh, do, do you trust this tournament will happen? And uh, would you consider heading down there? Uh I'll answer the second part first. No, I will not consider myself going down there just okay. because. Yeah. I'd, ra- I'd rather just not take the chance. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of do I think it'll happen, 
I'll agree with you in the sense of it really depends if they really want to push for it and learn more information about it. We don't know what's going to happen in the next two weeks with the virus and how fast it could be growing. But I think personally, I don't think it should happen, It, but it's all up to them and how they want to run the tournament. Miami's definitely going to be hotter and definitely going to have it has the same basically amount of people that go to this tournament than it does the Indian Wells. So if you really want to pack people into these types of crowds with that type of heat, I really don't think it should happen, but will it? I really don't know. That's and the statement itself was very interesting to hear that they would, they still proceed to schedule the tournament, but it didn't sound like, that they're thinking of canceling it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next little while. W- one way or the other, it, it definitely you know won't be left to 12 hours before uh, the first qualities matches are going to be played, you think, if anything's been learned from this experience. Um, Phil, to focus on some positives of your, your time while you're in Indian Wells, loved your videos of hitting with uh, some of the different players, uh, Chorich, Rublev, I believe, uh, Nick Kyrgios, mm-hmm. which must have been fun yeah. as well. Uh, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about uh, some of your uh, your highlights among the players you hit with and any sort of fun little uh, conversations or, or moments you may have had with uh, with some of these pros. I, I think, one, I just wanted to give the tournament a big thank you for letting me be a part of that world uh, for the little time I had with them uh, because that's the number one point that I had because I never, if you told me last year I'd be hitting with these players, I would have laughed. Um, but was, was this a first for you? Uh, hitting partner, no. Hitting with these guys, yes. Um, when it came to hitting with these players, some of them just wanted to get their feet wet and just kind of feel the grounds uh, for their warm-up. But you see how hard hard these guys hit in some levels, and I was actually surprised I could hit a ball back with Rublev just <laughs> because of how loud his grunt is and how flat it is but it actually has a lot more kick than i expect on it uh that i didn't expect on his forehand yeah i was i was gonna ask specifically about rublev because he looks like he tears the cover off the ball when you watch him mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't play any points it was more just like a warm-up for him for an hour but i was actually surprised i could hit a ball back i was i was very terrified to go into it <laughs> and well, it, it's funny. I think. Yeah, I was, I was gonna Go say it, it, it's funny uh, for for these types of experiences. It, these guys like Rublev, Kyrgios, it's just maybe some time to, as you said, get their feet wet, uh, get a little rhythm on the court. But but for you on the other side, it must be pretty surreal. It is, and you start learning that they're just normal guys too, and you start realizing that they talk about anything that they want to and. It's it shouldn't be that big of a deal trying to if you're a fan if you want to go up to him and ask him and you want to ask him for an autograph or a photo a lot of these guys do that because they want to and they care about who they hang around with and it's fun to see how positive and happy these guys are to play the game that they love and to see that kind of passion and determination some more than others but it's still really fun to be a part of that world to say the least. 
Any surprises in terms of personalities or, you know, chatting with players either before or after you're, you're hit with them, uh, you know, sort of uh, quirks or any personalities that you, you didn't really expect from what you had previously known about uh, any of these guys? Not particularly. I think I also got the chance to hit with some of the women too. And I, I hit, I warmed up Pagula and she does hit a really flat ball. That was another big surprising one of mine, but no, like their personalities fit them very well. Um, and I think it was just a lot of them are very focused in what they want to do. And some of some are more particular than others, but that's really about it with them because when it comes to just playing tennis, it's, literally they could do it in their sleep <laughs> yeah kind of uh kind of second nature at that point for them especially when you you watch them hit and and train just sort of getting warmed up they they seem so loose and relaxed and that's kind of always the feeling like i'm i'm striving for on the tennis court and and they just do it so effortlessly yeah and i think the one more detail i forgot to mention uh when people say uh curious could be one of, is one of the top servers in the world i 100 percent agree because you think you can read a serve, and then it just goes out wide, flat at 140. Humbling moment for you. It's great. I love, I love returning that. <laughs> wow. Well, Phil, look, uh, sorry that your trip there is cut short. Hopefully you're back on the tour, uh, hidden with these guys and, and covering and producing your, your great videos and commentary. We love following you on social media and uh, hope at the very least our paths cross this summer at the, the Rogers Cup if you're coming back up here to Canada. 100%. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I look forward to seeing you guys very soon. Okay, thanks, Phil. Take care. That's uh, Philip Fama at tweener underscore head on Twitter. You can find him as well, Tweenerhead Tennis on Instagram and Tweenerhead on YouTube, where he puts together some really great videos and some interesting perspective from someone who was there literally at the moment the news dropped, getting it along with players and agents and, and managers and coaches. Um, what, what a scene that must have been in, in any of those sort of hot spots where you had so many of those vested parties in one place. Yeah, no kidding. I'm just picturing some of the players at, at different tables sort of exchanging looks when that email comes through and be like, oh, my goodness, uh, this is this is canceled. What do we do next? Uh, so, yeah, it, it is uh, quite great to hear uh, the, the insight from actually being on site. Not great to hear uh, the results that we won't have uh, the first of the Sunshine Double, the BMB Paribas Open at Indian Wells has been canceled. Uh, but yeah, it, it sounds like the shock and awe uh, translated to the players and and uh, coaches and, and, and media members, everybody there. And the whole tennis world. Yeah. And, and even now, as we're about to wrap up this episode, we have no idea what we're going to be talking about <laughs> in uh, in a week from now. I know, I know. I, I did want to read the Miami Open statement because, uh, as Philip had mentioned, it, it sounded like it was like a confident go-ahead, which you feel like is a bold thing to say at this point because March 23rd is still, you know, 12 days away. Okay, uh, we'll read it in your confident voice here for us, Ben, and we'll cross our fingers and <laughs> say a prayer to the tennis gods at the same time that this happens. Okay, statement on the 2020 Miami Open. This is from their Twitter page. The 2020 Miami Open is moving forward as scheduled March 23rd to April 5th. Safety remains a top priority, and we are monitoring the COVID-19 situation closely with local, state, and federal officials and health organizations in the lead-up to the tournament. 
In addition, we are working with the ATP and WTA tours on recommended best practices and following CDC guidelines closely to provide a safe environment for fans, players, and staff. One thing I do wonder about this in saying that they're working on the best recommended practices. Now, I know Indian Wells was, but this maybe in a way tells me they would consider going ahead with the event without fans. And perhaps it's easier for them to do that because they've seen what's happened in Indian Wells and they have a little bit of time to actually sit back, strategize, mm-hmm. and and come up with a plan B that might be a solution. Whereas, as you mentioned earlier, maybe in Indian Wells, this just came up and upon them so so quickly that they didn't have the ability to sort of adjust and and put in place uh, a second option. Yes, but at, at the same time, this is why it is sort of a bold statement. You're dealing with an unpredictable virus and things are changing on the fly. I mean, we're, we're getting breaking news on a daily basis in regards you, to coronavirus. And there's nothing to compare it to, right, in the sporting world like this. We haven't had to go through this before. You can't compare it to, oh, yeah, we had something similar 5, 10, 15 years ago. This feels like we're kind of breaking new ground, uh, which is unfortunate, and you just hope that, yeah, the right decisions are made. And that, uh, you know, when everything's resume as per normal, that, uh, you know, everyone's uh, okay at that point in time. Yeah, fingers crossed. I know Jamie Murray had surmised as well on Twitter that we might not see major tennis events for several months. He he thought it was a possibility we might see the French Open, Wimbledon canceled. You got to think maybe the Italian Open is hanging in the balance now that they've canceled all sporting events in Italy uh, right through April 3rd. And that could extend beyond that. Uh, but... We're not canceling this program. Uh, we're going to keep on going. We got lots to talk about and lots of people to talk to. I don't want to divulge any of our upcoming guests, but we've got a good lineup for uh, for the next month or so. And uh, regardless of what happens on the court, we will be bringing you our interpretations from off of it. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Tom Tebbett, for joining us once again. He's been with us several times over the years. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Philip Fama, for uh, giving us some uh, in-depth reporting from uh, location there in Indian Wells and uh, get home safe. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Where I come from isn't all that great. My automobile is a piece of crap. My fashion sense is a little whack. And my friends are just as screwy as me. I didn't go to boarding school.